You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. I announced last week, for those of you who weren't here, that we would be starting this new series, and it's called Rethinking. So we're going to rethink some things, and I think it's necessary for us to do this, and it's okay to do this. Uh, I, over and over again, have told you guys, you know, you may, you look up here, you see the pulpit or the pastor is the, the person of authority, and you don't, through the years, many people have said you don't question that authority but i'm submitted to you as much as you're submitted to me you should question we should be able to ask questions and be comfortable with doing that and not feel like we're gonna get in trouble or like touch not god's anointed type of thing right uh that's not what that means that means don't beat up (laughs) don't beat up somebody of god (laughs) in the old testament that's not what it, it, it means to, you know, it, it's okay to question. So there are several things, like I said, several topics, several things that we've even put to our doctrine that are not the essentials, all right? The essentials are, you know, Jesus, his deity, his incarnation, the virgin birth, uh, being 100% God, 100% man, his death, burial, resurrection, uh, and, and then the Trinity and then the Word of God, the sufficiency and inerrancy of it. And then outside of that, you start start getting different roads and paths of different things. And is it a salvation issue? No, you know, but we act like they are sometimes. That's the deal. That's the issue. So we want to rethink some things. And I gave you guys a list of all sorts of ideas or, or stories. You know, the rich man and Lazarus, Zacchaeus, uh, tithing. If hum- humanity is mortal or immortal, naturally, um, we'll, we'll be rethinking hell, which turns out seems like a handful of you are quite excited to hear about that. So <laughs> that actually is encouraging to me because uh, sometimes people get fired and lose their jobs over different things. But I'm not going to say, hey, this is here it is. Right. Like I want to present the views to you guys so you guys can be Bereans, search the scriptures and find out what the Bible's really saying. So during all this, we're going to, to look at, it, at principles of reading the Bible. There's actually rules to this, okay? Uh, so uh, in, interpretation is important. How we read it is important. How we look at a text, and today we're going to be, the text we're going to be in is Luke 19. All right? <clears throat> So I got my children's Bibles here because I want to present this story the way that most of us know it first. Okay, Um, it's usually told the story of Zacchaeus is usually told with the assumption 
that what the crowd believes about him is true because he is called a tax collector and on top of that he's a chief one he's a very rich man he would have been the chief he's the head guy in this area all right so here's here's something i want to point out that's just very important to us okay when we come not only to this text but any text in the scriptures most of us already have been taught in a sunday school or children's versions of the stories in the Bible, um, or even in preaching and teaching and reading and the devotionals, we we have presuppositions. Okay, we have preconceived notions. We bring that to the text. We come to a story like Zacchaeus. You all, I mean, who could tell me the story? Right? He's a he's a dirty, no good tax collector. And then Jesus, he sees Jesus, but he's a wee little man, right? <laughs> we have the songs in children's church. So we don't ever move past the children's church or Sunday school versions of these stories, okay? So let me read first. I want to read from the children's Bible. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passed through the town of Jericho. And this was a beautiful, lush place with tall trees. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, lived there. He was not a popular man. Everyone knew that he took more tax than he should from people so that he could keep some of the money for himself. <laughs> well, Just like today. <laughs> just like today. <laughs> Crowds gathered to see Jesus as he walked by. Zacchaeus was eager to see him too, but he was short. And he couldn't see over the heads of the crowd. He knew if he tried to push his way through to the front, people would just elbow him out of the way. So he decided to run ahead, climb a tree to get a better view. A short time later, Jesus passed by. And as he walked past uh, Zacchaeus's tree, he looked up. Come down, Zacchaeus. Today, I would like to come and have dinner in your house. People in the crowd were shocked and annoyed. Why did Jesus want to mix with people like Zacchaeus? Everyone knew that he was a cheat. But Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and the meeting had a remarkable effect on the tax collector. I know I've been greedy and done wrong, he said to Jesus, but now I want to give half of all my money to the poor. He was so happy that Jesus had shown him a better way to live his life. Then Zacchaeus spoke to the people in the town, I am sorry that I have taken more money than I should have done and made you pay unfair taxes, he said. If I have taken money I shouldn't have from anyone here, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said, I have come to look for people like Zacchaeus who have turned away from God. I have come to bring them back to God our Father. Okay. Pretty much the same in this one too. It... They, they all elaborate a little bit more, right? The people of Jericho, this is how this story starts off. The people of Jericho did not like Zacchaeus. <laughs> okay. He makes us pay too much tax money, they complained. He's a nasty cheat. So when Zacchaeus joined the crowd who wanted to see Jesus, everyone elbowed him to the back. So he climbed a tree. Then Jesus came and stopped underneath it. Come down, Zacchaeus, he called out. I want to stay at your house. Zacchaeus gave Jesus a feast. 
He listened to what Jesus had to say, and it made him think. Then he stood up. I'm sorry about cheating, he said. I'm going to mend my ways and repay everyone. Good, said Jesus. I came to help people turn their lives around. Okay. <laughs> yes. We don't read these to our son. <laughs> we did, and then I said, no. oh, they're all way off. And so I got to sit there and explain to, my, to Ezra, no, okay, that's not what happened. Let's talk about this. So I, I did find one that was a lot better than most of those. All right, let's look at the actual text, okay? The actual biblical text in Luke 19. All right, so it's talking about uh, Jesus here. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay. Did Zacchaeus give Jesus a feast? Did Jesus tell him a bunch of stories and, and other things, right? Like the, those others said. No, none of that was there, right? They, they took liberty to add these things in there. Okay, so we all have these presuppositions, these assumptions, preconceptions, okay? These are, what that means is they're a thing that are tactically assumed beforehand, all right? So... So, like consciously, subconsciously, we've grown up. I mean, how many, when I read from those Bibles, uh, children's Bibles, how familiar was that story, though, really? And that told in that way, right? Okay. It, it's very much like that. So, I read you the story now, you automatically just think of all that stuff, okay? So, our minds zero in on two key words in this section first off, okay? Sinner and salvation. We see that, those two. Sinner, salvation. All right? So we just skim many sections of Scripture and we assume that we know all the details because we're familiar with them. We've grown up with them, with all these stories. And sinner and salvation are highlighted in those register with what we know as Christians and how we think in our theology. This man was a sinner. Just as the crowds have pronounced it, Jesus goes to his house. He gets saved. It's a story of conversion. That's the way it's been presented. All right. Now, although sinners did, they obviously existed then. We know that. There's always been sinners, right? Uh, that one word does ring true. The problem then here is that the word or the use of salvation and sometimes how we apply our definition of that to this text 
can be a little iffy, right? This is, we have to remember, this is pre-cross, although salvation did exist, right? Today, our salvation is based on the death of, of Christ, right? His death, his burial, his resurrection. That, and the, con- the content of our faith is Jesus, right? He's the object of our faith. So the requirement for salvation has always been faith. So the object of one's faith for salvation has always been the Lord too, right? So throughout the Old Testament, believers came to salvation because they believed that God would someday take care of their sin problem. That's what we went through with the gospel. It's not just forgiveness. It takes care of that identification of sin. But today we look back and we know, we can believe. We believe he's already taken care of our sins on the cross. But there's no cross yet here with Zacchaeus, okay? So a slow, just simple look at this section may just show that Zacchaeus was a man of faith, a true son of Abraham, and the salvation that came to his house that day was the object of his faith, Jesus. Okay, so stick with me. It's going to be a little slow ride here, but it's good. It's only 10 10 scriptures, but it's packed with things. And this is the problem. We just, there it is, right? (laughs) I know the story. We little man, we little man. He was short. Okay. So I would like to present the story with a man who's already acting in accordance with the ethics of the kingdom of God at the beginning of this story. And he's the one who takes a stand against the crowd's accusation that he is a sinner and solely on the basis that he, of his vocation. And he is accordingly vindicated by Jesus. Okay, so there's strong evidence for this interpretation throughout this entire section, even though it's 10, 10 verses. All right, so Luke, we have to look. We have to, when we take a section, this story here, okay, 10 verses, like I said, we have to look at its immediate context and then at times its surrounding context, okay? So if we look at this in the whole scope of the, the, the gospel of Luke, um, that's going to make more sense. We'll get more into that. But Luke records that Jesus is passing through Jericho, okay? So that's an important detail when it names something. So keep that in mind. This is taking place in Jericho, okay? This is his last stop before arriving in Jerusalem after a a pretty lengthy journey. This journey from chapter nine, uh, halfway in chapter nine through the uh, last part of 19. So this this unit then uh, fits the genre, okay, of a pronouncement story within the gospel here. That... He and then this that this he this Zacchaeus is a is Jewish. He's a tax collector. It suggests that regardless of how his immediate community around him might marginalize him, that he is potentially an insider. Okay, so given Luke's constant placement of tax collectors among the children of Abraham. It's surprising that many of us or commentators see the story, use Zacchaeus' profession as evidence that he's an unrepentant sinner. All right, so Luke has also given him a proper name. All right, before this, we have um, the children. Let the little children come to me in 18, right? We have Jesus healing a blind beggar. Uh, Well, there's the rich young ruler too. When stories don't give names... They're not as, uh, 
uh, not trying to foretell so, so much about the character there. But Luke gives this man a name. He tells us his name. Okay, so here's Jericho. It's in Jericho. Okay. And then his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus means pure, innocent, and righteous. <laughs> I know Mike's excited to hear this because he's been like, I don't know. I don't get. <laughs> We've been texting. All right. Everything in the Bible, when it has detail, it's important. It means something. Even names. Like names were a huge deal to, to Jews. They carried meaning, titles, all these things. All right. So here we have a man whose name is innocent and pure. He is righteous. This is further evidence that Luke may really want us to view Zacchaeus as a child of Abraham from the beginning of the story. So verse 3 then, it goes to provide evidence that Zacchaeus is already a participant in righteous living because he's actively seeking to see Jesus. So think about this. Uh, do distinguished people climb trees? <laughs> think about it. Do distinguished rich people climb trees? Right? And that, make it even further. Do distinguished rich people climb trees in front of crowds of people? No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. It seems to me that it's paramount in the heart the heart motivation here of Zacchaeus to see Jesus because he's willing to do whatever it took. All right. It's also no, notable here that uh, <clears throat> it says the on account of the crowd, he could not see him. Now, they probably were like in the children's Bibles, elbowing him out, like, get out of here, you filthy thing. Right. They didn't like him. Like they were tax collectors. They were bad people <laughs> most of them were all right so he's he's willing to do whatever it takes even if it meant his pride even if it meant his reputation he just wanted to get a glimpse of jesus all right but so why why though right so remembering that zacchaeus had no clue that jesus would know him at all you know but by his actions here that we we see his heart's motivation and by Jesus' response, we can see Zacchaeus' heart's motivation as well. Because Jesus responds. All right, but the, the crowd does not hold him in high esteem. Okay, so we're going to get, like, was he a short man? Was he wee little man? This is what's interesting. Um, the crowd would prefer to exclude him from Jesus' appearance or his ministry. So... And this, what I've already mentioned in 18, this is exactly in line with the little children and the blind beggar. You remember the little children, like the like disciples are rebuking these kids. Get away! And he's like, no, let the little children come to me, right? Like, okay, think about that. When we were in Ephesians, we talked about women and children and stuff and the household codes, right? And Paul made it, put them in there, which was really unusual because women and children were what? meant nothing really right back then okay so Zacchaeus is prevented from seeing Jesus on account of the crowd because it says he is in stature small however when you start to study this phrase this this phrase in stature is rarely used by Luke at all there's no other uh, precedent for its use uh, to uh, to be used for height okay 
It usually regards maturity and regarding lifespan. Um, so it's as he's, he's small in stature, which means think of when we use that word sometimes today, right? You can grow in stature with, in favor of people, right? He's of small value. He's of no worth to the crowd. The crowd's preventing him from seeing Jesus because he's of small value to them. He, he, in the eyes of the crowd, he's nothing, he's no good. And it remains that the crowd does not want him near Jesus because he, like the little children of chapter 18, is of no worth. All right? I believe the evidence for this can be found in that statement because while, while Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, the Greek makes it clear that the primary indication that he could not, on account of the crowd, by, you know, see Jesus. But his actions are consistent regardless of his dignity or who he is. He goes to an extreme measure to actually see Jesus climb up this tree. Okay, so here's an important note here. Um, I know not everybody's going to look up Greek and see what's going on in the original language. However, it's very important. You'll see as we get to the response of Zacchaeus. That although, and I know I, I think I've said this before, but although this is like the Bible, scriptures are the inerrant, infallible word of God, right? No doubt about it. However, our English translations are fallible. There's some that are better than others, all right? Don't, don't get like too wrapped up in that and be concerned. The, the, uh, the discrepancy there uh, is really like point. Zero five percent something percent, like so you got ninety nine point like you know whatever accuracy there, but we have NIV that takes this story. In a moment, we'll see. Instead of um, I give, it says NIV says right here right now I give all back to the poor. That's what the NIV says. Yeah, I know. Um, it's like well, right here and right now. It's not there, right? Some, King James says, I give. ESV says, I give. Um, but other translations will say, I will give, okay? And I'm going to hit upon that. But it's important to have a good translation because sometimes what's going on is you're not getting the full translation. You're getting an interpretation on the majority of what they agree is what's going on here. It seems as if a lot of times... The case here has to be a conversion story because it's about Jesus and his ministry, right? It's got to be that way. So, like, why would it be anything else? <laughs> that's Sometimes that's what it seems like. It's like, what do they do? Like, but it's important. So, you know, I do suggest to have two or three other Bibles laying around of different translations, you know, ESV, uh, New American Standard, Young's Literal, things like that. We'll talk, you know, this is just a side note because this sermon, it's not really a sermon, but it's really short, so I have to interrupt myself here with these side notes here <laughs> i thought about doing two stories but i was like ah, i'm gonna bog them down <laughs> let's try to drag this out so you know have two or three bibles i mean man there's some sometimes when i'm preparing like i've got like five bibles out and they're all over the place because they're like massive like this and you can't walk in the room because they're like all over you know that's my job. I know not everybody's like that, but it's good to have a parallel Bible sometimes just to look because sometimes it is a big difference. It's like really big sometimes. Okay. All right. So we'll move on. 
Okay, so Jesus knows his name. Well, he knows his name. He's Jesus. That's the one thing I would just say. He's Jesus. He knows everything. He knows his name. He calls him down, right? So Zacchaeus' response here, what is that, right? It's not like one who is who has not yet begun to live a life of repentance either, but rather is one who submits willingly and joyfully to the leader of what is going on here, this kingdom of God movement, what's taking place. He's he's willing and joyfully like woo ecstatic about this on account of Jesus and his ministry. And so Jesus's instructions are, are, are met with this immediate obedience of joy. Jesus calls his name, which means righteous and pure. He responds as one would expect a righteous person to respond. Um, he's not like, oh, why? What's he going to do to me? What's he going to say? But the crowd re-enters the scene here with not only grumbling and accusation that Zacchaeus is a sinner, but also it seems like to me, if you read into it, with an implication that Jesus at best has poor judgment <laughs> about somebody. You know, like, uh, let's see. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Right? Like, what's he doing? So I would submit here then, if this again were a conversion story, we should expect Luke to record Zacchaeus undergoing some kind of transformation in conversion that would be consistent with the other accounts that have already been told, okay? That Jesus would confront him with his sin or explain to him how to become a true son of Abraham. But this, none of this is, takes place. So people automatically say here, okay, now in the children's Bibles, at least it did say they went to his house, they had a feast, Jesus, Jesus talked to Zacchaeus, he learned a lesson, and he says this. But here in our text here, the crowd, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, he goes right there. Like there's not, so people say, well, this, there's a gap here. Right. I don't know why we have to intend like always be so like this. There's this gap. They went to the house. They they ate. They had stories. And Jesus pointed out his sin. All these things that aren't in the text. They're not there. All right. It's clear to me they don't even make it to his house. It seems to take place right there. The crowd is saying, Jesus, go with that guy. He's a sinner. Zacchaeus goes, look. Right. Right there. They've not even left. He's come down. He's met Jesus. He's confronting these accusations. Okay? So Jesus... Then, uh, wait, well, I moved ahead. Okay, here's the main argument. Right? It, Jesus hasn't said anything. He's only invited Zacchaeus to come down because I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus, he's the one who stands up to the crowd and speaks. So the main argument and differences in the Bible, all right, in, in translations, is does he say, I give, or I'm giving, or I will give, okay? The original Greek is present tense verbs. So it sounds like I'm giving half of my goods to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore, it is present. He is doing it already. 
That's his response to the crowd. But he's saying it to the Lord. He says, he says he, stand, he stood and says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's something he's already doing. This is what he's, he's doing. This is how he's living his life. All right? Now, some, I, does anybody here have something else I will give in their translation? Okay. And like I said, NIV like says, right here, right now. I'm doing it. Here, take my wallet. <laughs> it's like, what? Um, King James, New King James, ESV. It just says what I've read. Now, Jesus at this point has not spoken any ethics of the kingdom here. He's not pointed out anything to Zacchaeus, right? He's not confronted him with his sin. He's not done anything. You know, think about the woman at the well, you know, things like that. Like, is this consistent pattern to the stories of Jesus' ministry? It's not. So Zacchaeus demonstrates actually his knowledge of something here. It's John the Baptist and Jesus himself. This is important now to remember where this is taking place. Jericho. Okay? We're going to have to go to Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is preparing the way. He's the forerunner of Jesus' ministry, right? <clears throat> okay. Do, do, do. Let's see here. Let's just start at 3. 3 3. Okay, this is John. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting. Do you guys know the region around the Jordan? It's taking place around Jericho, okay? This is where Zacchaeus is at. This is where Jesus is passing through. He says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, uh, the voice of the one in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. See the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that, that came out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers right? <laughs> you or who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come right? And he says bear fruits in keeping with repentance do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children of abraham okay so i just give you there that for some context now you look at 12 tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him teacher what shall we do and he said to them collect no more than you are authorized to do okay right Three years prior to this account of Zacchaeus, John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? It, it, it's, is this not what he just told tax collectors when they asked him that question? Is that not precisely what Zacchaeus has told Jesus and the crowd that he does? Right? Collect no more than you ought to, right? So it suggests that 
in this he's in this area this jericho the location is important it suggests that he may he may i don't want to be overreaching but it seems as if he may have been present for the ministry of john if not he definitely heard about it and heard of the commands that john gave so zacchaeus he is declaring that declaring this and jesus's response functions as a vindication of him the crowd has treated him as an outcast. They have accused him of being no good and a, or a sinner, right? On the basis of his vocation, and that's it. Solely on that. And Zacchaeus has presented evidence to the contrary, and Jesus sides with him. All right, so as I said earlier about our presuppositions and the word salvation, this is important here because Jesus says... <clears throat> To him, let's go back to Luke 19. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Alright, so salvation through our contemporary lens, right, is is what we think forget repentance being forgiven, being saved, right? Okay, so <clears throat> but but when we, if we could put on first century lenses when reading here uh, the eye, uh, over our eyes uh, there's a there's a couple things to notice. Jesus is reinstating Zacchaeus as a Jew. He's bring and and is bringing him the salvation that's promised by God to the Jews. And Jesus gives the reason because he is he too is a son of Abraham. He's a son of Abraham. He doesn't declare that he has become a son. If this was a conversion story, it would be the case that just as salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house, then he should expect that he too that day became a child of Abraham. But he was already. God had promised salvation to the children of Abraham, right? Of Israel, Zacchaeus is a child of Abraham. Therefore, God had promised salvation to Zacchaeus, and this promise has now been fulfilled through Jesus, okay? So the word salvation here is from the root soter, which means Savior. <laughs> so it's really interesting. Jesus first said, I must stay at your house. Then he says, salvation, the Savior, has come to your house. You guys get that? He's just, instead of saying, today Jesus has come to your house, he's saying, today salvation has come to your house. To declare this. Okay? So salvation here, so tear the root is Savior. It's not salvation in the way that we see it as repenting and being forgiven. It's the one who does the saving. It's the object of his faith. The object of his faith, he knows. He heard John the Baptist or heard of the baptism of Jesus or of John. And repentance of sins, this baptism, he hears the command of two tax collectors on what they should do and how they should live. He's living this rightly. He's doing what has been declared to live a righteous life. The crowd says he's guilty. He says, I'm not. Jesus says, no, he's not either. He is a son of Abraham. So his final pronouncement then, Jesus is the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's can get complicated here what's that mean if this right was he lost or not it reinforces his jesus statements regarding his mission at the very beginning of his ministry 
When he reads from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, the, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. favor. It's in Luke 4, right? So the poor, the blind, think of that. Not just actual blindness because of the crowds at Chios there. It's blind to see Jesus. But an and oppressed captive in this section. Let me say that again. The poor, the blind, the oppressed captive in this section of text is a rich Jewish ruler. Jesus' mention of the lost would draw our audience. If, you know, you guys know back in the day. We, we wouldn't just go through a section. We would just read all of Luke in one setting, right? That's how it was, like, in first century, second, third. We'd just read it all. So we're at this point, and so Luke's audience is getting drawn back to chapter 15 where Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, of the lost son. And just as this contains no language of repentance whatsoever, neither do the first two examples of the lost sheep or the lost coin. Right? Neither the sheep nor the coin did anything to get lost. Rather, the shepherd and the woman are the ones who did the losing. Dun, 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 dun. Now, that's not to say that God does the losing, but rather to point out that the kingdom of God is about bringing the marginalized into the community where they're already a part of it, but others say no. So Luke's description of Zacchaeus's name, his location, his ethnicity, his position, his status, his stature, his actions and speech, they all argue for a reading of this section which sees Zacchaeus as a righteous man who has been excluded by his community from the family of Abraham, but who reveals himself to be a child of Abraham, resulting in the coming of Jesus to his house. And that's how he gets redeemed. The story gets redeemed. <laughs> He's had a bad rap for 2,000 years. Let's put the text back to where it belongs. I believe he was a righteous man. <laughs> so is all this taking place there after at the tree? I, I believe so. Okay. Then your reference here, uh, and I thought of this after our text conversation this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I actually had uh, <clears throat> some stuff on that, but I just sort of cut it out. Just I don't know, but yes, I must come to your house. Like I must come to you today. I have come to you, right? I don't think it's just house literally as a house. There houses in him as the person of who he is, and Jesus has come to him that day as well. Yep. Good observation. Is there any questions? Other questions, comments, disagreements? So Zacchaeus probably wasn't short. He probably wasn't a filthy, dirty, rotten, no good for nothing sinner. <laughs> they got saved. So he declares himself to be doing what he should have been doing because he's heard that from John's ministry and, and Jesus agrees with him. All right, so 
With that being said, I said that we would start this series out light. I believe that is light, although I think it's good because we've redeemed the man of uh, bad storytelling or bad interpretation for a long time. We're going to get into other topics as we go, and it's going to be hard for some of us, probably all of us. It's been hard for me already, so I want you guys to know that. It's been hard for me studying this stuff out to find out what the Bible actually says about some of these things. So none of it is going to be to try to confuse you or to hurt your feelings or step on toes. It is just to present it the way it should be presented. But along with some of these topics, there's various views. Most people don't even know there are various views, more than one. I think it's only right if we're in the body that we should know all the actual views to these things, right? So as we go to rethink, we may have to unlearn these things. And that's difficult sometimes. It's hard. I still catch myself sometimes in the old way I was raised and think, wait, wait, well, no, no, no. So uh, I hope you guys learn something or are encouraged by that. You learn a little bit something about just paying attention more to the text. All right. And it's going to, it's going to get interesting. It's going to be fun. So 